0: You're listening to My First by Athletes Media Group. My First is a series that takes athletes down memory lane as they reflect back on intimate moments and the highs and lows of their first professional game and their first professional season.
1: On this episode of My First presented by Athletes Media Group, we spoke with NBA legend Sean Kemp. In a great and wide-ranging interview, we discussed Sean's first NBA game, his battles with MJ and the King of Trash Talk, Charles Barkley, and his thoughts on the long-term possibility of the NBA returning to Seattle. We also had the chance to walk down memory lane and learn what was going on inside his head during the infamous Lister Blister. We hope you enjoy this inside look at the Rain Man himself. Without further ado, Sean Kemp.
0: Welcome back to another episode of My First. We have a very special guest today with Rain Man himself, Sean Kemp. How you doing?
2: Man, I'm doing great, man. Life is great. Um, no complaints this way out in Seattle.
0: Yeah, so we're actually, I don't know if you know this, we're not far from your neck of the woods right now. We're in South Bend, Indiana. Is that right? Oh, man.
2: Yeah. South Bend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I um, I still come back there regularly, man. That's,
0: uh, well, next time you come back, you should pop in the office. I will. I will. I will. I'll come yeah. see you guys. You're a local legend out here. Uh, <laughs> before we get into it, I want to talk Elkhart a little bit. So I, I grew up out here, and my dad worked in Elkhart. Now, this is a family thing we have to set straight from for years now. He claims you worked for him at the Concord Mall at Finish Line. Is this true?
2: Well, I used to go into the Concord Mall all the time, and I used to shop at the finish line. I actually used to hang out there. But, I mean, my first job was in NBA. So,
0: okay. <laughs> That's what, so I, I called him right before I came on. I was like, we're about to talk to Sean. This is your last chance if you've been making stuff up for years. He's like, oh, yeah. he probably won't remember. I'm like, okay, you've been lying. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, my first job was the NBA, man, and, um,
2: but I definitely remember going into the finish line there at the Concord Mall. I mean, there was only six stories in the mall anyways, but, <laughs> you know, I remember going in hanging out there all the time. Um, I'm sure if I saw his face, I would remember it.
0: All right, so let's get into your first. Let's jump into your first NBA game. How much do you remember about it?
2: Man, I, well, actually a lot, to be honest with you. I mean, I can take you guys back a little bit. A lot because, um, you know, it, and, I, and I'll take you back a little bit before then because you're taking me back. Back then, it was like, um, you know, you, you work your butt off and you get so happy that you're going to be part of the NBA, and then you go to this training camp, and then you realize you're going to be part of this uh, this team and you're going to make the team. And then right before the first game, it hit me. I looked at the roster, and I realized that it was only – there was 12 of us on the team. I was number 12. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like at the the greatest time, and right before that game, that first game, it was like me realizing, like, man, even though I've made it, even though I'm on the team and I'm playing with a lot of good guys and I'm learning and stuff, um, it was just a a fact of knowing that I still had a long ways to go.
1: All right, so November 3rd, 1989, Key Arena, downtown Seattle, Washington. Take us into the pregame locker room, the tunnel, like what you're doing before the game. Do you have any memories specifically leading up to tip-off?
2: I think um, I'm not. I'm not sure, but I believe we played the Minnesota Timberwolves.
1: Yep. Nailed T- it. T-Wolves. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
2: that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking because we played Minnesota. Then Sacramento was a Sacramento was our uh, not Sacramento. Yeah, Sacramento was my second game, but um, that that first game against Minnesota. Uh, I was just telling myself, man, please don't mess it up. If you get some time out on the court, (laughs) don't do anything silly. Don't don't turn the ball over too much. I I think uh, Coach Coach Bickerstaff he calmed my nerves down a little bit right before the game. He came to me and he told me, he goes, don't worry about it. If you don't, this don't work out. We're gonna send you right back to Concord, so it's
0: okay.
1: <laughs> Man, high stakes right off the bat. You're going back to
0: Elkhart, Indiana. If this doesn't work out, so, <laughs> so no wonder you had such so, a good career.
2: <laughs> you know, the fact of um, you know finally making a roster position and securing that on the team, and then uh, you know having the first getter James the, the jitters before the game. Um, you know, at that point in time of anybody's professional career the one thing that you're trying to do is just really go through the process of what these guys do on a normally day. So you don't want to do anything that's special or anything that's crazy, but you want to see what the process of what these guys do on a normally before the games, kind of see the routines of their professionalism and see how they get themselves prepared for the game. So along with that, um, you know, of course you got other rookie duties. You have to be out on the court early to get your shots up and all that other stuff. But mainly what you're really trying to do before that first game that you ever play is look at some of these guys' routines of what how they handle themselves before the game, see how much energy that they put out beforehand, and that way you can be ready to play once your name is called.
1: So you entered the first game without the benefit of any sort of college seasoning to prepare you. How did you handle such a stark change in atmosphere going from, high school gyms to an nba arena that first game
2: really tough really tough man and the main thing i think with myself at that time it came down to a lot of coaching i think i spent a lot of valuable time with coaches a lot of valuable time with the veterans just going over stuff just making sure that uh, i felt comfortable once i got out on the court and i didn't embarrass
0: anybody so, did you with that first game, whether it's your teammates or guys for the T-Wolves, did you have any familiarity with the other guys? Did you know any of them, or were you completely fresh? I was pretty fresh.
2: I was pretty fresh, man. Um, like, you're like, really, like, really, really, really fresh. Uh, to, fresh to the point of, um, you know, I, I was still calling back, talking to uh, Jim Han, Jim Han, before the game. You know, uh, just to get a little little extra a little extra vote of confidence and stuff like that so i was pretty fresh you know thrown into it um like i said uh, the guys on the team really 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 the ones that really made it made it easier for me i think um it's a lot of the leadership xavier mcdaniel nate mcmillan a lot of these guys uh they definitely helped me along the way especially in that first year
0: so with that first game looking at the wolves roster there's not a lot of big names. So let's let's say for that entire first season, were there any moments where you were like, wow, I'm on the floor with this guy?
2: Yeah, like, okay. That first game, it was different because if you remember at that time Minnesota was frankly very new to the NBA. Right. So they were they were, I believe at that time they were more like an expansion team. So so even though we were we were playing Minnesota my biggest, my biggest thing was the next night we were playing Ralph Sampson, <laughs> yeah. and I was a big fan <laughs> of Ralph. Sampson. I, uh, I talked to the University of Virginia for a number of years, considering to go to school there, and uh, I knew the second game that we were going to play against Ralph Sampson, and that's, I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, Ralph, Ralph stood at the at that time he was seven four, pretty big guy, and um, you know, for a kid that's like. Early 19 years old, could be a little bit intimidating. So I was, I was definitely looking forward to seeing him. And I think the Minnesota game, that first game, is what gave me a true education um, of just going out, getting a feel of what the NBA players, how they did things, their strength, how strong they were, and how fast the game was. That was the biggest thing. The game was really, really fast once it starts.
1: So that first game, you're, you're fresh on the floor. How much trash talking was going on? And from who was it coming?
2: Well, not so much on me the first game, not so much on the on the first game, but I think beforehand I was getting, uh, you know, so, so say like in preseason, I was already starting to get little notes and stuff from veterans because I was young at the time, 19, not, not very many guys at that point in time really came into the NBA. I think before me it was Moses Malone, and that had been – 12, 13, 14, 15 years prior to when I'd done it. I don't think the guys were really trying to intimidate me, but they definitely were trying to put fear inside me. So I can remember guys as of uh, Manute Ball sending little notes to me beforehand in, in the locker room. Charles Barkley probably is the worst of all. He definitely <laughs> he, sent, he sent me multi-letters and notes trying to intimidate me before the game started. It was definitely an effort of uh, intimidation, I would say, but I think I I'll appeal well.
1: It's interesting. I feel like Charles is one of the names that keeps coming up as we go through these interviews. <laughs> uh, what was your relationship with like with Sir Charles over the years?
2: Good, and it's still good. It's still good. I think Charles is a great guy. I think he was great for the game. I think um, you know a lot of times his insight and his his relations to fans and to people. Is just as important as his game was out on the court, and he was a he was a force out on the court. So um, our relationship has always been good. I have a lot of respect for him, but um, I I never let him intimidate me for sure. Never.
1: <laughs> so sticking with your with your first game, uh, for you specifically, were there any highlights or lowlights to your play that night?
2: Well, the, yeah, it was. It was some it was some highlights to it. My first game, I can remember, coach just telling me to run the court and rebound, run the court and rebound. And being a young guy, you want to show and you want to prove to people that you can do a little bit more than run and rebound. So, of course, I was taking some opportunities to, uh, to shoot the ball and to pass the ball. Um, and, you know, at that time, being 19, you, you really want to impress people. You want to impress the fans. You want, you want these guys to know that you're capable of doing a lot of exciting things. So often in my early on in my career, I got caught up trying to do a little bit too much and sometimes I had to calm myself down a little bit. But that first game, I can remember doing everything just about right. So it was really just about coming out with a lot of energy, hitting the rebounds, getting a lot of garbage points, and um, you know just taking whatever opportunity I could possibly get and, and grow from there. Because if you played good the first game, then you're, you're, you're definitely probably going to play the second game. And that was my goal. My goal was basically to stay on the court and to play. And do all the little things. And um, that's why I, I put my focus on basically rebounding, blocking shots, doing a lot of dirty stuff.
1: So you did end up with a bucket that first night. Do you remember the situation?
2: I do remember the situation. I got a, I remember uh, my, my eyes lit up because I actually got in the game, the first game with me and Dana Barrow. So it's like you look at the roster and you say, well, if this guy if this guy's in, then I might get a chance to shoot. So, of course, your <laughs> eyes are going to get a little bit bigger. <laughs> And that's how it was. When I saw Dana Barrows get in the game, when I saw Cedell Freak get in the game. It was like, okay, okay, these guys are shooters. So this is going to be my chance to get a couple shots up. So let me, let me work hard. And it worked out well. I didn't shoot the ball great that first game, but I definitely was able to make a basket. And then um, I think, I think I did better the second game.
1: Do you remember your first dunk in the NBA?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I can tell you that my first big dunk came in New York. It was sometimes you see that. Double pump backwards dunk. That was actually my first big dunk. Wow! And, and that was my first big dunk. It was in New York. That one dunk led. I hadn't dunked the basketball in the game maybe once or twice, and it wasn't anything fantastic, but just little dunks. But after that one dunk in New York, I believe I had 38 dunks in the next 30 days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the,
2: un- beast, the unleash of a beast you know.
0: while we're talking about Dunks where did you get the inspiration for this one, the, kind of your iconic we're going to have someone recreate that later by the way, uh, he's off camera right now, but quick question for now, where did you get inspiration for that? It's a time that
2: that happened on Lister um, which I'm pretty good <laughs> friends with they were being really physical with me when we were playing in that series so you, you, you kind of Back then, you didn't want to do anything that was going to get yourself too much attention, too much attention to get you a technical, which usually gets you kicked out of the game. So you have to be able to create something that's going to, because this game was on TV, something that's going to be everlasting in people's mind. And I was saying to myself, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to, my reaction was going to be after I dunked on him. Cause I knew I was going to dunk on him this game, but I just didn't know how it was going to happen. But during the course of that game and getting that drive down the middle and that um and that dunk on all Lister, we call it the Lister blister. <laughs> and, uh, we call it the blister blister, but um it was definitely it was exciting. But I still remember it like it was yesterday, and the uh, the gesture was great because it didn't get me thrown out the game and it wasn't too much.
0: Well, well, later when Rob comes on and does his reenactment of it, you can grade it one to ten. He's been uh-huh. practicing the last couple of weeks, so we'll see. You uh. You 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 mentioned technicals. Do you remember your first technical?
2: Yeah, yeah. My first technical came from uh, it came uh, the second game, going against Ralph Sampson. He was a temp- yeah. he was trying to intimidate me a little bit, telling me to take that stuff back to high school. Yeah. I, I remember getting in his face, and then the referee coming and and separating us, and I was so glad the referee separated us because I realized that he had such a huge wingspan. It's
1: so a hold-me-back, hold me hold-me-back situation.
2: Hold me back, but don't let me get too close, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember who the official was at up? I don't remember who the official was, but I was I was thankful that they, they got a hold of him before they he got a hold of me.
0: Was Steve Javy officiating back then?
2: Oh, yeah. My, that's it one was of my probably favorites. him. That's one of my favorite officials to hate. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> every everyone we talk to on here. When it's first technical, or who do you have an issue with? Steve Javy. Steve Javy. <laughs> no
2: man, you lose the game, blame it on Steve Javy. That's how yeah. it was. So, do you remember your
0: first ejection?
2: No, I can't remember my first ejection. But I gotta say, my first ejection, I'm gonna say yes, I do. It came against uh, Denver, okay. Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets. I um I got ejected for uh, for fighting.
0: I got, um... Did you win the fight? Wasn't much, you know... It was an it was a separate like, NBA fight? Yeah. You know,
2: the NBA fights at 50-50. It's like, back then, it was like, either you get a knockout punch or it was like a wrestle-tussle breakup. Yeah. Mine was a wrestle-tussle breakup, but, you know, everything stands for something. And, um... Yeah, I got into a fight with one of the guys that was trying out for the Denver Nuggets. And, um... It was a, it was a pretty good pretty good punch but they did they, they end up drawing me out.
1: so how many of your family came down for I guess it'd be over for that for that first game how many tickets did you have to to come up with for them
2: that first game that we played in Seattle I'm gonna probably say at least it was at least 10 15 20 people from Melcar came down my mom my sister my, my nephews aunts and uncles and stuff so I'm gonna say at least 20 at least 20 people came um, we were We were going to play uh, the Pacers and the Bulls early on in the season that year. So a lot of people got a chance to uh, come from Elkhart and South Bend area and watch me play them over there.
1: As a rookie, what does it look like to acquire all of those tickets? Is that something you're bartering with your teammates about? Can you just go to the traveling secretary?
2: Well, the the main thing is this, Randy. You you, you kind of look at those dates beforehand, and generally they know – Guys, though, if you're going to be at a place where a guy is from, especially by him being a young youngster, a rookie, then you try to look out for him. So you try to give him as many extra tickets as possible. So whether if, if someone's from Los Angeles and you're going to Los Angeles, generally the guys will try to throw in some extra tickets to help him out.
0: When did the idea of becoming a professional basketball player come into focus? So in a little bit, we're going to talk about your Elkhart days, high school, your college days. But I'm just curious. At what point did you think to yourself, like, this could actually happen? I could be an NBA player.
2: I've been knowing that probably that I was going to be part of the NBA for quite some time. You know, even though I grew up in, uh, you know, Elkhart in the South Bend area, you know, I had been planning on being part of the NBA for quite some time. I, um, my my AAU team was based out of Los Angeles, so generally most of most weekends that um I grew up around the Elkhart area, on the weekends I was flying to Los Angeles playing AAU basketball. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, so I think early on, I think, um, you know, from the time of sixth and seventh grade, I think this was something that we knew that was going to be pretty doable.
1: Switching back to your to your first game, were there any lessons that you learned in that first game that stuck with you through your rookie season and maybe beyond?
2: Yeah, it is. It is. That first game, when that first game hit, it's – um. It's truly an education, man, and, and, and a lot of times people don't realize it, but I can break it down to you guys real fast and quick. It's such an education because you have to learn how to conduct yourself on the court for as officiating. You have to be able to listen to what the coaches are telling you and then be able to decipher that into what you're doing on the court. And then you also have to have a lot of um, confidence within yourself to be able to show out on the court. Generally, that's not going to happen in the first game. So you kind of you, you tell yourself, like, look, I'm not going to make the All-Star team on the first couple games. So basically, I got to stick to what I can do best. And generally, that's, that's what I learned how to do. And I was just basically myself was really just picking up what a lot of the veteran guys did, but also just uh, bringing a lot of energy. Every time that I stepped on the court, I wanted it to be that I energized my teammates. So whether it be me diving on the floor for a loose ball or me running down court real fast, uh, making guys run down the court even faster to guard me, generally I was bringing something to the table that was going to help our team. And that's what I tried to stick to. I think a lot of times young guys come into the NBA and they feel the pressure from their fans, from their family, and they try to do too much. They try to score too many points. It's so, but there's so many other things that go into play when you're out there on the court to be able to, um, you know, listen to what the plays they're calling, the defenses that they're running, to also manage that you're, you're, you absolutely have to face some of the best athletes in the world on the court. So you got to have a, a good balance of everything. And I think everything that you do basically is new and you're learning constantly. It's like you don't really get comfortable in that first year at all. Like you have great games you have great nights but you really don't get too comfortable. You're, it's kind of an up and down roller coaster ride because you're not quite sure what's going to happen.
1: So you mentioned that the NBA kind of factored into your thinking from sixth, seventh grade on. So obviously you had a quite quite a while to um, mm-hmm. build up the idea of what it would be like to be an NBA player in your head. The first time you stepped out onto the floor as an NBA player, did it live up to all of the expectations that you'd built up over the years? More,
2: even more. <laughs> like even more. I um, you know, I. You know, coming from the area that we're from in in Michiana and and Elkhart and and that South End and Chicago in that area, I mean, there's a there's a lot of guys who have done this, man. There's a lot of players who have come along and played the game. So I had the I had the ability of reaching out to guys at an early at an early age, like it, like I said, at sixth and seventh grade. This was already in my mind. So along in my mind, we started you know, making plans for me to make sure this is something that I really wanted to do. By doing that, I spent a lot of times with guys like Scott Skiles. Plymouth. uh, Yeah. Scott was in Michigan state. I was like seventh, eighth grade. Therefore I would play a lot of summer basketball with Scott, uh, travel around with him in the summertime, play as much as possible, pick it up on little things to make sure this was something that I want to acquire. because I mean, you know, in order to make it a professional athlete and to be something really good, man, right, you kind of got to start off early. That way you got enough strength and enough uh, mental capability to pick up on these things. So, you know, unfortunately, most of these guys have been playing ball and stuff have really started at a young age, and they've been trained. They're, tra- they're trained to understand the game. They're trained to uh, be competitive. And, uh, and I think um, me spending a lot of time with Scott Skiles as a kid it definitely um, helped me out.
0: So speaking about being younger and, and younger kids playing, I want to talk about your high school days a little bit because you put up some ridiculous numbers in high school. And talk about guys like Jim Hahn, Jamar Johnson. I mean, you were surrounded by a lot of talent. Talk about what your high school days, uh, how they went, and how it shaped you for your NBA career.
2: Well, it, it, it turned out, man, it worked out great for me. Um, you know, the, the play a Concord up under Coach Hahn, up under Jimmy Hahn, um, it was great because – you know, he kind of made all of us good players into team players. And that's very similar to what they do into the NBA. So uh, it's not always about you. So, you know, if, you're, if you, the, the, the sooner that you learn to play with good guys, the better player that you're going to be because everything is not depending on you. It's also about helping someone else be better. And I think I learned that at an early age at Concord that everything wasn't about Sean Kim, that, you know, it was about being a part of a team. And once you realize that you're part of a team that, um, you know, you just work on the intangibles of getting better, things that you can do to help guys out, motivate guys, uh, uh, practice harder, little things, and, and I think that stuff grows. So, you know, Coach On um, is a person who introduced me to Scott Scows. They actually used to play on the same summer league team, and therefore uh, my introduction to Scott became so, uh, so important because – we were able to trade information and talk all season long, and he would help me out uh, on different things. So, you know, it's just about a, it's a, just a true education of uh, of knowing that the basketball game is not always about you. It's about you being able to help out your teammates also. And you know, Jamar was great, man. I mean, Jamar Johnson was a, one one of the greatest Indiana high school players of all time because after I left Concord, he he still took the team back to the championship. So, I have, a, I have a lot of respect for Jamar and um, a lot of respect for Concord and for the, for, really for the whole state of Indiana basketball wise, because at that time, it was only one champion. It wasn't division or different classes. It
0: was a Hoosiers scenario. One champion. And I yeah. think uh,
2: by being from a small school, that motivated me as a kid. I mean, it's going to be, you get one chance at this. And, uh, you know, the movie Hoosiers really motivated guys from my high school because we looked at that like we were from a small place, and this was our time to shine.
0: Who won Mr. Basketball your senior year? Woody Austin. They messed that
2: up, huh? <laughs> Man, that's the, that's that's what you get when you pick Kentucky over Indiana University. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It comes with the territory.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kentucky Sean, can you tell us a little bit about some of the the more challenging moments in your career and how they shaped you both as a player and as a person talking about the the UK situation that led to your transfer.
2: Man, the UK the UK situation was great. First of all, it was great for me. And I know sometimes people sit back and they say, "Well, there was a scandal not nah, nah, it really wasn't a scandal with myself. It was a the only scandal with uh, University of Kentucky was that I left and the school did not want me to leave. But everything at the school was great. I appreciate the University of Kentucky. It helped me out so much confidence-wise. And also going, going to the University of Kentucky, was able, I was able to meet guys like Rex Chapman, Kenny Walker, Sam Bowie. And a lot of these guys have definitely helped me determine to come into the NBA early. So me going hardship from college Really came from me going to the University of Kentucky. Those guys, those former players from the University of Kentucky, helped me with that step coming into the NBA.
0: So, and I think looking at not only your career going from high school and then the couple colleges and even into the NBA, I think whether you know it or not now, a lot of the young guys in the league look at you as a success story and like, the days can get dark, but I can come out the other side and I can make sure that what needs to happen happens. And you're you're the reason for a lot of that. Can you talk about some of the days, whether it be the Portland days or anything, where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this and how you did end up coming out the other side?
2: Well, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, – man, it's, 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 it's definitely challenging. I mean, uh, and I can be the first one to tell you guys, and, and just um, – I've definitely been through it. I've been through – some stuff, like I said, when I went to the University of Kentucky, was able to uh, figure out things and, and come out pretty good. Uh, even, even my days in Portland going through um, some drug problems and things like that wasn't really a, a big issue with myself because it was more about just sticking to the foundation, getting to know my family a little bit better, getting to know myself a little bit better, and things generally work out. Uh, you know, I can't say this. I mean, I've been married 20 years now, so... You know, as a young man, sometimes we, we, we make choices that we sometimes regret, but it doesn't it doesn't label us or, or stick with us generally forever because it's up to the person to change the opinion of people around on what you do on a daily basis.
0: And it's, I mean, I think every everybody in the world makes decisions we wish we could have back. When you're an NBA superstar, it's a little bit more in the public eye. Were there any mentors at any of the stops that really helped you along the way?
2: Well, man, like I said, I've been – I generally, I've been with my wife for 20 years. We we built a pretty solid foundation years ago. Uh, she's been in my corner, you know, the whole time. Uh, I think we started our relationship when I was 19. You know, with her alongside with my mom has always been my foundation. And then uh, just them challenged me just to be even better. And I, and I think, um, you know, what most of us men, once we start to have kids, generally, a lot of our choices change in life. We We generally see that we have to make better and quality decisions for the rest of our life.
1: So obviously your career was sterling you, one of the most popular players in NBA history, still not in the Hall of Fame. How, how important is it to you to make it into the Basketball Hall of Fame?
2: Not at all. Not at all. Not at all, guys. Um, I didn't play the, I didn't play the game to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm not one of those guys that probably gonna say that he needs to be into the Hall of Fame to be feel complete. I think, um, you know, I man. I'm a country kid who played the game real, real hard, real strong. I, dated, I, I played with a lot of passion. We won a lot of basketball games in Seattle. Uh, pretty much every word that I went, we pretty much won. Therefore, I think once you do that, you say to yourself, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with not winning the championship. Because the only thing you can probably do is try your hardest. You know, if I could go back, hell, I wish I could go back and win my high school championship, let alone the NBA championship. But sometimes we just can't do that. So I just you know, I look back in my career and I say to myself that, you know, I made guys play. I made them come with it every night. These guys they really had to they really had to when they say when they say Sean Kemp, these guys had to prepare themselves the night before to play against me. And I'm okay with I'm okay with living like that and, and knowing so if the Hall of Fame calls me one day and they say Sean you're you're elected I'll shake their hands and gladly accept it. But if they don't, I'm o- I'm okay with not knowing that I didn't make it because I think I had a pretty solid career.
1: Is there any desire within you to coach at any level at any point?
2: I coach my boys. I, I um, I think me being from Indiana, you know, uh, it's, a, it's coaching. Coaching is a little tougher for me because I think I was I was brought brought up of the the heart nose coaching. Where coaches really got into your face. I'm, you know, I'm okay with Bobby Knight coaching style. Like that's that's kind of the style that I grew up playing underneath. So um, I don't know if that that style of coaching would last these days with these youths. I think it's uh, you have to approach these youths in a different way. I do, I see that with my kids because I have to. I'm so passionate about sports and playing the game that I sometimes have to tone it down a little bit even when I'm coaching <laughs> my kids. So I can only imagine if I get out here coaching in the locker room, I can can see me getting pretty fired up. So I I think uh, for me it would be best for me to support these guys from a distance and stay away from the coaching.
0: Can any of your kids dunk on you?
2: I got one. My youngest son is a freshman at Southeastern Louisiana right now. He's been trying to dunk on me for years. I I foul him so much it's like now if we even get close to the dotted line underneath the basket or anything like that anytime underneath the free throw line I almost just start to foul him because I know he's trying to dunk on me he wants I don't hate it oh man he wants it so bad that it is just incredible so um hey Jamon if you watch it you still haven't dunked on me yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) who came up with your nickname one of the all-time great sports nicknames
2: well, of course, a guy from Indiana did Kevin Calabro. Yeah, Kevin Calabro used to be. Uh, he was. He's actually from uh, Lafayette. Uh, Kevin used to do the uh, Seattle games. He's actually doing. I, I believe he's doing um, Portland now, the Trailblazers games now. But Kevin uh, used to uh, used to come in and, and call us different names and stuff on a, on the TV air. And then I had a contest on a radio station one day, trying to come up with this nickname some people want to call me the reindeer some people want to call me this or that and then on my way home uh kevin called me up he goes what do you think about the rain man and i was like the rain man and i was thinking like rain man r-a-i-n i'm like right eh, i mean i know it rains a lot in seattle but that's kind of corny um no but then when i got home someone called me and said no not rain as in rain as in thunder rain as in common Rain as in the gladiator rain and I was like, Oh man, that's kinda catchy. So I woke up like at two, three in the morning and I called him back and I left the message and I said, We're gonna go with the rain, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, genuinely one of the best all time nicknames. No, so you mentioned me. that Charles Charles Barkley was one of a big trash talker. In your uh what, 11, 12 years in the league, who did you encounter that was the biggest trash talker?
2: Oh my goodness, the biggest Charles's Charles Charles <laughs> Charles is a baby trash talker, okay? He's a baby <laughs> trash talker, I meaning he'll talk trash to you, just to intimidate you a little bit, but he's so caught up in the game and playing well that he doesn't really like to talk trash like that. But the best trash talker of all time is no one other than the Larry Bird from Indiana. He is the Hey, best.
0: I heard I've heard that. He yeah. is
2: the best trash talker. Better in. than GP? Man, Gary he, Gary just talks a lot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's it's quantity over quality with him.
2: Absolutely. Larry, Larry knows how to go straight to the juggler. He knows how to get those <laughs> words that, that can really affect your night. You know, so I think no doubt about it. Larry Bird is, um, I mean, he bags it up with his play. You know, um, I had the, the great opportunity of guarding Larry as a, as a rookie. Uh, we got to the game. Xavier McDaniel said that his knee was sore. I wonder why. but <laughs> <laughs> Likely sore. <laughs> I wonder why. But I got to the game and Larry gave me, I think he gave me 50 points in three quarters. He called me every name in the book. He told me every shot that he was going to make before I got down court. He even told me what position and what spot he was going to shoot it from before I got down court. And he still made the shot. And I was all over him like lotion. And it didn't even stop it.
1: So you mentioned the notes that Charles would leave for you before the game. What were some of those like? What What did he have to say to you?
2: Oh my gosh! The first note Chuck left, man. He he said he sent me a note with the ball boy, and it said, "Dear Sean, yes, you can have my shoes after the game. I know that you're
0: good.
2: <laughs> it's, oh, it's okay."
0: That oh, was what first- a dick. <laughs>
1: So sticking in this vein, does, was there a favorite player for you that you just wanted to posterize every time you came up against him?
2: Absolutely. All the seven footers, because I wanted to be seven foot so bad. So every time <laughs> that we played against the seven footer, I used to go write their name on the chalkboard. And the coaches used to get mad at me because I used, he'd be like, who put his name up here? And I'd be like, I did. That's the guy I'm dunking on tonight. And he'd be like, yo, can you stick to it? Can you stick to the game plan, please? Stick to the game plan, Kemp? Stick to the game plan. I'd be like, Coach, man, I'm trying to get every seven footer out here. He's like, Come on, kid, just stick to the game plan. But I would not. Every one that we would play, it would be Sean Bradley, it'd be um, Manute Bowl, it could be, could be anybody, it could be any Patrick Ewing. I wanted to dunk on every seven footer in the NBA. That was just the biggest goal of mine.
0: Now, are you aware on NBA Jam that you and Gary Payton are the best duo ever? Because <laughs> we were the best duo ever. Yeah. <laughs> so. Did you watch The Last Dance?
2: Yes, I did. Yes, I did.
0: So when MJ said, I didn't have a problem with the glove, is he telling the truth? Man, glove was all over him. We, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: Michael Jordan got lucky because Gary was a little hurt at the start of the series. And for some reason, I, and I still, I'm going to ask George Carl about this, I still want to know a definite answer. Why did George Carl start Deadless Shrimp on Michael
0: Jordan? I mean... Doesn't seem I'm, ideal. Natural I mean, just Dur- look at Detlef Shrimp. Oh yeah, looking him like a filet right there. Like, <laughs> Lord, that's,
2: that's such an unfair task. You
0: can't put that haircut on MJ. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can't put no buzz cut. You know, I mean, it's just not going to work. But, yeah, I think um, I think Gary gave Michael some problems. I think Michael, just going back, uh, looking at that the last dance, I think Michael was um just trying to share some attention not off the situation but he knows the glove was DNA down
1: speaking of do you have any re- regrets that the the supersonics left Seattle how much of is of a travesty is it that they don't have a team right now
2: man it's killing us out here and I think um you know for one I think eventually we're, we're going to get our team back you know it's just taking some time you know and I think uh, the NBA, the NBA have had some problems with putting the team out here so fast but I think here in the next Three, four years, you're going to see that the, uh, the silence come back. You know, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but we just got our first hockey team back in Seattle, the Krakens. And I think uh, by having the Krakens, is going to give us a brand-new arena. With the brand-new arena, I'm hoping that, that that draws enough attention for the NBA to bring the silence back. Because I truly think the players miss coming to Seattle playing, and I know the people around this this area generally misses the NBA.
1: I hope they go right back to the branding from your, your early days, That the kind of the ball with, with the skyline. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. about as good a sports branding as it gets.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, um, I, you know, I've, I've talked – I still talk to these people, and, I, and, I, and the signings still going to come back. You're going to see pretty much the same logos of the first signing with the green and gold, not the red green and gold, but the real green and gold. And then I think, uh, I think the team will be back very soon.
0: Do you have any pieces of advice that you like to lean on for young players when they come to you for advice?
2: My main advice to these young guys, man, is to work hard. Work work your tails off, man, but plan for the future. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, basketball is great, but basketball isn't everything. You know, and uh, you got to have something. You got to have something else that you work on, something else that motivates you. It's got to be something else in life that you want because basketball can – feeling a lot of voice but it can't do everything for you i think a lot of times these kids they see the money and then they see the money and their eyes get so big because they think the money is the cure for everything money doesn't cure everything money doesn't make you happy but it definitely uh it can help you but it doesn't make you happy but it um you know it makes you makes you work harder to get some other things going for you so
1: Go ahead. So I was reading online that there was a game in, in 2015 where you and Gary were in the stands watching both of your kids play. Mm-hmm. What is that experience like? That has to just be full circle. That's
2: well, awesome. It is awesome, man. Uh, junior, my, my, uh, my son Sean Junior, he's a, he's a great athlete, enjoys the game of basketball. You know, it was fun watching him all four years at the University of Washington. Um, and also watch, it was good watching him graduate college also. In four years, so I think uh, you know after you get done playing basketball, like for me, one of the things is with my kids, do something that your dad didn't do, man. So graduate, graduate. All my kids are they're they're big on graduating college. They're big on graduating college, and, uh, and that's that's kind of been what I've been pushing in their heads for years, man. Just do something your dad did.
0: Who the hell? Who the hell? Who the hell is wrong First question here: um, Who was a dunker in your era? that uh, you had to be aware of, someone you didn't want
1: to get dunked on?
2: Uh, I think, um, well, of course, Michael Jordan, but no doubt Dominique Wilkins. You know, Dominique Wilkins, uh, the one thing that I didn't want to do is get on one of his posters. I didn't want to be... <laughs> I enjoyed watching Dominique for a number of years growing up. And my, my cousins used to call me all the time before we played the Atlanta Hawks, and they'd be like, no, don't get on one of Dominique's posters tonight. So... Definitely dominate.
0: All right. Uh, my dad is the Cleveland guy, uh, but people don't associate you with the Cavs. Uh, what were those days like?
2: Man, well, when I went to Cleveland, it was kind of a transition time. It was kind of a transition time. But, um, you know, my, my time in Cleveland was good. You know, I, I think uh, we had a young team. I think, I, you know, my first year in Cleveland, I played with nine rookies. I played with nine rookies, and we still made the playoffs and made it to the second round. Um, but my time in Cleveland was good. I think, uh, you know, uh, spending so many years out here on the West coast, I, um, I started getting cold and that was my reason for departure, but, uh, <laughs> I definitely I enjoyed my time at Cleveland and I was there during the transition time. Our team probably wasn't as great as what it was after they got LeBron or anything, but I think we did pretty well for what we were working with. I'm, I'm hoping that
0: you got this dunk on point. I want to see. Oh, all right, get on the table. <laughs> it's gonna be brutal. Don't get worry. on the table and give it your best shot. Pretend you just what'd you call the dunk? It was the what the Lister Blister, the Lister blister, the blister, just went down. Let's see your celebration. All right, I, oh, you're shoot, too. Am I in on it? Hold on, hey, uh, get down low. Get down low so you're in screen. <laughs> all right, hit it. Rate right it one to ten.
2: That's about a good six, six and a half, seven right there. I I th- You'll no, take that,
0: I bashed, I bashed. <laughs> <laughs> Sean. Thanks a ton for your time. Next time you're in the area, I'm gonna follow you on Twitter right now. Hit me up next time you're in the area. Um, dinner's on me. We'll, right, we'll go. Right. We'll we'll grab Nick and Thomas too, and we'll roll out and hit the town. But let me know. Hey, din- dinner's on him. The lob is from me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the deal, man. I'll see you guys soon. I'll see you you this winter sometime.
0: All right, Sean. Thanks for the time.
2: No problem. You guys have a good day. Bye.